0: Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. I'm excited to bring you uh, part two of this series for heaven's sake. And just kind of recapping what we talked about last week, we talked about how Jesus came to earth. And he tells us that the purpose for his ministry, the purpose for him coming to earth was because he's bringing the kingdom. He's bringing the kingdom of God. He's bringing the kingdom of heaven. He says, for this purpose, I was sent to tell people about the good news of the kingdom. To tell people to repent because the kingdom of God has come. I mean, Jesus was all about the kingdom. We see that even in Matthew chapter 6 when When Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, this is how important it is to Jesus. When he's teaching them to pray, he says, pray like this. Uh, He gives us the words to say here. He says, pray like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then right off the bat, your kingdom come, your will be done. I mean, this is so important to Jesus. He's saying, hey guys, even when you pray, pray that the kingdom would come in your life. Pray that the kingdom would come in your home. Pray that the kingdom would come in your family, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we started this series, we, we, we talked about how if this is the message of Jesus, if this is the purpose why Jesus was sent to talk about the kingdom, then we need to live our lives for this kingdom. We need to live for heaven's sake. We don't want to get wrapped up living life for our own sake. We, don't, we certainly don't want to get wrapped up living life that's going to benefit the world or, or for the world's sake. We want to live for heaven's sake. And, and we talked about last week the concept, the idea of what the kingdom is And how every kingdom has four things. Y'all remember this? Every kingdom's got four things. Every kingdom has a king. Every kingdom has a government. Every kingdom has a territory. And every kingdom has citizens. And the kingdom of God is no different. And and last week, we really laid out that idea. So if you missed last week, I encourage you, after today, go back to our Facebook page. Go to our YouTube page. Or go to our website, life.cc. And watch week one, because a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today is, is continuing the discussion from last week. So it's going to make a lot more sense to you if you're caught up on this series. But I want to really lean into this, this last part. Nick was right, by the way. We are going to talk about what it means to be citizens of heaven. We are citizens of another kingdom. G- Jesus said it like this. The Bible tells us, we live in the world but we are not of the world. We might live in this world and have jobs and have have our routines and and do things in the world, but you are not called to be of the world. You're called to be different. You are called to be part of another kingdom. Paul says it in Philippians 1.27. He's writing to a group of people who are in Europe, but under the rule of Rome and wondering where their allegiance lies and and who is their Lord? Is it Caesar or is it some other government? And Paul says, listen, above all, I know that things are confusing right now for you in a worldly sense. I know that things are a little confusing when it comes to your government right now. I know things are a little confusing in the culture and things are confusing in society and you're being pulled in all these different directions. But Paul says, listen, above all, You must live as citizens of heaven. And as citizens of heaven, you must conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. You see, the thing that we learn when we look at the teachings of Jesus, when we look at the writings of the apostles, we learn that the kingdom of heaven doesn't look like anything in the world. God's ways... Don't look like the world's ways. We talked about this last week, how Jesus in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he was telling people, you have heard, but I say unto you, y'all remember that? Jesus says, look, you've heard it like this. You you think it's like this, but I'm bringing you a different way to think. What he's doing is challenging the mindset of the world. He's challenging the, the, the customs of the world. He's challenging the way of life that the world brings, and he says, but... Here's how the kingdom is. This is how the kingdom is. This is how you live in the kingdom. John chapter 18, verse 36 and 37. This is a conversation between Jesus and Pilate, who's a a Roman official. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting So that I would not be handed over to the Jews. Now listen, Jesus here is not saying, Well, I have a kingdom, but it's not in this world. It's not, it's somewhere else. It's it's a different place. That's not what he's saying. Jesus said, My kingdom is not like this world. If my kingdom was like this world, guess what? My followers would behave just like the people of this world. If my kingdom looked like things that you're used to seeing, Pilate, if my kingdom was of this world, then my followers would react in a way that would be normal for the world. But my kingdom's not of this world, so my followers aren't acting like that. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So therefore, Pilate says to him, so you are a king. Jesus said, you say correctly, I am a king. For this purpose I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. The kingdom of heaven, it's not of this world. It's not like this world. The ways of the kingdom, listen, the philosophy of the kingdom, the ideology of the kingdom, the the values of the kingdom are nothing like the philosophies and ideologies and values of the world, the culture of the world. And it's not just that the culture of the world and the kingdom of heaven are different. It is actually that these two are opposing each other, that the the kingdom of heaven and the culture of the world are in conflict with one another, that they oppose everything about what the other one stands for. They are complete opposites. Last week, we talked about in the kingdom, we have a king. It's not a democracy. There's no room for debate. There's no room for filibuster. We have a king, and he is a good king, and he is a just king, and he is a holy king, and he is a righteous king, and he's a merciful king, and a loving king, and what our king says is law. We have God's word. We have the Holy Spirit. In the world, though, it looks a little bit different. The world is not built the same way. The culture of the world, and you know what? Honestly, the Bible calls it the kingdom of darkness. So we have the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light is what the Bible refers to it as. All of these things are the same thing, the kingdom of God. And then in the Bible, it says there's also the kingdom of darkness, and it calls Satan the ruler of the world, meaning that he is the ruler of this other kingdom, that there is another way of life, there is this other force, there is this other kingdom that is at odds with God's kingdom. Y'all following me? Today I want to talk about the difference in these two kingdoms. This is why I think it's important. If we're talking about living for heaven's sake, if we're talking about living in God's design and God's purpose for your life, and us as believers stepping into the identity that we have in Christ as citizens of heaven, then we need to be able to discern and know what is a lie from the world and what is truth in the kingdom. Young people, y'all need to know what's a lie that's being said in culture right now. What are ways that the enemy is trying to deceive me and pull me out of the kingdom? And what does God's truth say about this? So we're gonna talk about these conflicts. And listen, this this could be an exhaustive list. Houston, I could go on and on. Listen, you guys are used to me being long-winded anyways. I'm sorry. I just have so many good ideas. What can I say? No, I'm just kidding. I just don't know when to shut up. That's what it is. This could be a very exhaustive list, but listen, I'm I'm gonna try to keep it as simple as possible today and talk about the ways that the kingdom of heaven and the culture of the world are at conflict and how you're kind of caught in the middle right now, but you have the choice of what kingdom you're going to belong to. You have a choice of where your allegiance is going to, to lie. You have a choice in how you're going to live. And we can't be confused about things. We don't want to be deceived by the world. We, we don't want to let certain values and ways of thinking creep in and prevent us from really living for heaven's sake. Does that make sense? So let's talk about it. What, what are the things in the world that are at conflict with the kingdom of heaven? Let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. The apostle John, he says, don't love the world. Don't love the world. Don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. Now, it's very important you see this. It's not saying the love of the Father. The Father loves you, regardless of what you decide to do. He loves you. But if you love the world and prefer the things of the world, what it's saying is then you don't really have love for the Father. You don't have your allegiance in the right place. This is what John is saying. Don't love the world or anything in the world, because if you love the world, your allegiance is wrong. Because everything in the world... Now listen to what John says. Everything in the world... The concepts of the world, the way the world is constructed and built, it's built off of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These things do not come from the Father, but from the world. The kingdom of heaven has a king, and the king's words are laws, and we have the Holy Spirit to transform those words into life. The king has a territory that he has has established and that he is taking over. It's the earth. And we're citizens of that kingdom if we choose to put our allegiance in the king. But you see, there's this other kingdom that wants your allegiance. There's this other kingdom that wants your life. There's this other kingdom that wants you to live by a certain set of values and a certain way that it has deemed as good. Culture has deemed a certain way of living as good. And righteous and, and truth. But what the Bible tells us is that everything in the world, all the ideas, philosophies, everything that is society has been built on consists of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. This is how sin entered the world in the first place. If you read through the Bible, Old Testament to New Testament, you see these three things mentioned quite often lust of the flesh lust of the eyes and pride of life because this has always been the enemy's tactic when man fell into sin at the very beginning satan tempted eve in the garden the very first thing he said was did god really say this eve did god really tell did god really say you were going to die if you did this and then they have a little conversation and and Satan is tempting Eve, and it says that the woman saw the fruit. It's not going to be on the screen because I didn't want to read this whole passage, but I just want you to hear me. This is in Genesis 3, if you're interested. It says that when Eve saw the fruit, she saw that it was good for food, satisfying to her flesh. She saw that it was pleasing to the eye, that it was a desirable possession, lust of the eyes, And then it says that she also saw it was desirable for gaining wisdom. This pride that would say, I don't need God. I can elevate myself and have the wisdom to choose what is right and wrong. The very first temptation that came from the enemy. The very first temptation that came against mankind from the kingdom of darkness was a temptation in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Listen, this is still... This is still the enemy's tactic today. In 2022, this is still the enemy's tactic that he's coming at against you. This is still the tactics of the kingdom of darkness, the culture of the world that is coming against and opposing and in conflict with the kingdom of heaven. Everything that God stands for, God's ways, the world is going to reject and be in conflict with because the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Destroy what? Your identity, your purpose, God's design in your life, God's intention for you. The best life you could ever live is living a life according to God's design and plan. The most fulfilling life you're ever going to have is a life that is lived within God's plan for you. The enemy wants to keep you from that. Jesus said he came to give us abundant life. That means more and better life. The enemy doesn't want you to have that. So why is it this tactic? Why do we see over and over again in scripture that the enemy comes at us with a lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life? Why why is that his, in in the military we'd say that's his standard operating procedure. He's gonna attack you, your flesh, your eyes, your pride. Why? It's because God created you as a body, soul, and spirit. Everybody say that with me. Body, soul, and spirit. One more time. Body, soul, and spirit. God created you this way. And so since God created you as a body, soul, and spirit, the enemy attacks your body, soul, and spirit. Now let me clear something up real quick, because this is important to understand. You are not a spirit trapped inside of a body. You are not a spiritual being trapped inside of a physical body. God created you to have a body. God gave you a body for a purpose. Listen, before sin ever entered the world, he created Adam and Eve with a physical body. They were not spiritual, ethereal beings. They were physical. This is God's plan for you to have a body. For you to have a soul, which your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And he created you with a spirit. That spirit is eternal. Listen, the spirit is what separates us from all the other animals in the world and everything else in the world because it's that spirit that brings the consciousness of ourselves, the self-awareness, and also consciousness of God. It's that spirit that gives us the capacity for, for morality and creativity and analytical thought. This is God's design, and the three of them are not separate. They are one. God designed you and created you as a body, soul, and spirit to operate as one, For a purpose. This is God's work. This is what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. We are God's handiwork. God created you like this for a reason. God has a purpose for the way he created you. He created you with a body, a soul, and a spirit. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Guess what? He's already prepared them for you. God already has a place for you in his kingdom. God created you, and he's got a place for you. The enemy's attack the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. This is a full assault on God's handiwork. Are y'all seeing that? We have a body, so the enemy says, well, I'm going to tempt them lust of the flesh. We have a soul and the, and the enemy says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to divert their eyes. I'm going I'm to get them to value the things of the world more than they value the work of the kingdom. Okay. We have a spirit that in proper spiritual order, guess who the ultimate authority is supposed to be in your life? God. But the enemy says, you know what, I think I can get them to elevate themselves above God. I think I can get them to think that they can make decisions for themselves. This is the enemy's attack. And the world, the culture of the world, the kingdom of darkness, it has embraced these ideologies. It has embraced different philosophies, practices, beliefs. And listen, these things have become social norms. These are normal in society now. And they are anti-kingdom. They're anti-truth. They're anti-Christ. They are anti-God's purpose for your life. And the world has just embraced these things. The world has elevated these things. These institutions and these ideas that have been built off off of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And they elevate these things and say, this is good. This is a righteous way to live. This is the truth. And Jesus was no different than you and I. Jesus faced this temptation. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Guess what? Jesus had a body. He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, why don't you tell these stones to become bread? lust of the flesh. Your body's craving it, so why don't you do it? Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus resisted that temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Hey, if you really are the son of God, why don't you show me how important you are? Pride of life. If you really are a big deal, Well, the angels are surely going to save you, so why don't you show me how important you are? Why don't you really show me that this is who you are? And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Y'all see what's happening right here? All this I will give you, he said. Satan said, the ruler of this world, if you will just bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Hey, when Jesus stood strong and resisted that temptation, when he resisted the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, God looked after him. So let's talk about this conflict. Let's talk about these lies that culture is telling us right now. Let's talk about the lies that the world wants you to believe. And listen, I know some of these things are going to be sensitive topics. They're going to be hot topics in culture, but I want you to know what I'm where I'm coming from is a place of, of love, compassion, but also conviction to help you see what is a truth of the kingdom and a lie from the world. I don't want you to be deceived by things that are happening in culture. I want you to understand What God says and where God stands on these things. So let's talk about this first lie of the world. A lie from the world is that if it feels good, it is good. Lie of the world. If it feels good, it is good. This is an appeal to the lust of the flesh. This is an appeal to you to use your body and treat your body in a way that God did not intend to. For you too. This is an attack of the enemy to try to get you to use your body that God created for you in a way that dishonors God. The world says if it feels good, it is good. This is is feeding those physical appetites that you have. It can be looked at and it can be part of anything, it can be in food. Just loving, like me, loving food (laughs) too much. This 21 days of prayer and fasting has helped me a lot. But really, it's having no restraint of your physical appetites. Of having no self-control. This this mentality of, of of the partying and drinking, of course. And of course, in the beginning, those things feel good. If it feels good, it is good. But then they can also be used where you're feeling pain, and so to get rid of the pain, you turn to these things. And that helps, so it must be good. It's just a little weed, it's just a little alcohol. Now you don't understand, I need this, I'm stressed out. If it feels good, it is good. If it makes you feel better, it's good. And you see this turn into a very destructive, damaging lifestyle where the world puts so much emphasis on our feelings, our physical feelings, and that you should do what makes you feel good, that when you are feeling pain, and when you are feeling anxiety, and when you are feeling loneliness, you turn to things that the world has to offer. And instead of seeking these things out because they feel good, all of a sudden you're seeking them out because you're just trying to feel better. And then you start having things like self-mutilation and cutting and, and these things where you are now abusing and dishonoring the body that God has given you because you have fallen into this lie from the world that says, well, if it feels good, it is good. If it makes you feel better, it's good. And the biggest way that this lie has come in and messed up our lives and, and the way it deceives us and pulls us out of God's purpose is when it comes to sex. Because the world says, have sex as much as you want. Have sex with whoever you want. The world glorifies sexual liberation. The world glorifies having sex whenever you want, with whoever you want, with whatever gender you want, with as many partners as you want. And it has degraded sex and devalued sex from God's original purpose for sex. And now we have things like pornography addictions that are starting in young children, man and woman. Adultery is rampant because now we think of love as this sexual erotic thing. And when you don't feel that with your spouse, who you have built a life with and who you have children with, but all of a sudden you start having this relationship with someone else that's fulfilling these sexual erotic feelings for you, you think, well, I actually love them. You see what I'm saying? How the, how the world has turned God's plan upside down? Is it any wonder why the divorce rate is so common? Because the lie of the enemy. Sex was created by God for a purpose, to be shared in marriage between a husband and wife for a purpose of having children. But the world has removed that and says, have sex with whoever you want and do whatever you want with your body because if it feels good, it is good. Okay, that's the lie of the world. You ready for the truth of the kingdom? The truth of the kingdom is that your body is sacred. Your body is sacred. And I'll just let the Bible speak for itself. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. Paul is writing to a church, <laughs> believers who are falling into all kinds of sexual immorality. Adultery, fornication, all these things. Paul says in his letter, he says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything. You see, you, listen, it's the same attacks. It's the same lies. Paul is writing to them saying, look, you think that if it feels good, you can do it. But not everything is good for you. And even though I am am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Listen, what Paul is saying right here is you think it's good. You think because it feels good, you do it. But what you don't understand is you are becoming a slave to that thing. That pretty soon it's not going to make you feel good. You're just going to be hoping that it makes you feel better, but it won't. You say food is made for the stomach and stomach for the food. Look, he's talking about this. You think you should just feel these physical appetites that you have. This is true, though. Someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Listen, this is what Paul is saying. You were created with a body on purpose. And even when the Lord raises us from the dead, he's giving us a body. There will never be a time in eternity where you are not a body, soul, and spirit. That's what the Bible tells us. When Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom on earth, you are still going to be a body, soul, and spirit. Verse 15, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one, talking about marriage between a man and a woman, the way God intended sex to be. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And this is what Paul says Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Listen, God gave you a sex drive. And he gave it to you for a purpose. But the lie of the world causes you to abuse it and misuse it. Y'all okay this morning? I told you it's sensitive topics. You know what God values? Self-control. You know what the Bible tells us is a fruit of the Spirit living in in us? Self-control. So if God values self-control, then for heaven's sake, practice self-control. Let's move on to another part, another lie of the world. This one won't be as as uncomfortable for you. Houston, I, I know you're doing great. Love you guys. Lie of the world, more is better. Lust of the eye. More is better. This will cause you to have a higher value of things in the world, material things, than than the work of the kingdom. More money, more stuff, bigger house, better car, more assets. The enemy knows that if he can get you wrapped up in this lust of the eye, if he can get you wrapped up in materialism... If he can get you wrapped up where your soul, where your mind, will, and emotions are just focused on more for you, more money for you, more things for you, more toys for you, then he knows the kingdom of heaven doesn't have your resources. He's got your resources. The enemy knows that he can get you wrapped up in this lust of the eyes and this more is better mentality. You're going to become self-absorbed, self-centered, selfish stingy, that's the lie of the world. You want to know the truth of the kingdom? Generosity is best. The world says more is better. The kingdom says generosity is best. Again, Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6, teach those who are rich in this world, hey, tell those who are wealthy, tell those who have the ability and resources and the opportunities to make more money, tell them not to be proud And not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God doesn't just give us all we need to sustain us. He also gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Now look, being wealthy is not a bad thing. Having resources is not a bad thing. But it's about where your heart is at. It's about using and leveraging your resources and using and leveraging your wealth for the purpose of spreading the kingdom, building the kingdom, and helping others. And I know money is always a sensitive topic whenever we start talking about it in church. Everybody thinks the church just wants their money. Hey, I promise you, if you go through growth track, a part, if you will go through growth track next month, a part of what you learn and understand about this church is that one thing that we do here is we get we have a third party come in and audit all of our financial records every year. And then every year when we have our members meeting, our members are provided a, a copy of that report. We want you to know we're not misusing anything. We're not, there's nothing shady happening that whenever you give of your tithe and whenever you give offerings, you are giving to a church that is focused on spreading the gospel and serving the community and helping orphans in the Philippines. And a lot of times we can hold on to these things really tight, but can I, can I just tell you This is a principle of God, that God gets our first fruits. It's called a tithe in the Bible, 10%. But listen, it goes all the way back to Genesis when Cain and Abel are making their offerings to God. And if you would just embrace this and put it to the test, you know what our pastor says? To put it to the test and to tithe and to give. And if, if you do that for a year and you're worse off than you were before, that you can come to pastor and tell him, and he will give you everything back that you gave. And he's actually done that before. Put it to the test. Put this principle of giving and generosity to the test and see how God will work in your life. Because as soon as you start giving up that control, as soon as you start letting go of that of that control of, of, of finances and, and, and money, and you start allowing God into the picture, you're going to be blessed. I'm not saying you're going to receive financial blessings. That might be it, but you're going to be blessed when you start to see when the more that you surrender authority to God and, and, and remove authority from yourself, you are blessed. So God values generosity. Where the world says more is better, guess what? God values generosity. So for heaven's sake, be generous. Be generous. Are y'all seeing the ways that the kingdom of heaven and the culture of the world are in conflict? How so much about the culture and so much about the world we're living in is elevating these principles and elevating these ways of life, trying to influence you to live their way, but they're directly opposed to the way that God has called you to live. Let's talk about another, the last lie of the world that we're going to talk about today. This lie that you can decide truth. The world says, you, can, you have your truth, I have my truth. The world says, hey, what's true for you is not true for me. I'm, I'm living my truth. And this goes back to the way God created us as a body, soul, and a spirit. Because if you, if you try to separate those three things... If you try to separate God's creation, and this goes back to like some kind of Greek philosophy called dualism that teaches you your, your physical body is not really you, that the real you is the spiritual being that's trapped inside and everything physical is bad and everything spiritual is good, then you can have a truth that says, well, on the inside, this is who I really am, regardless of what's on the outside. The world says you can decide what's true for you. Truth is relative. It's not absolute. And that's the pride of life where the enemy wants you to say, you get to decide what is right. You get to decide what's true for you. You get to live your own values. You get to decide what is morally good. And you get to be the ruler of your life. Pride of life. What this does, pride of life, I really think, a lot of the things we've talked about today, having a generous spirit or being self-absorbed and, and, and the way that we treat our physical bodies and our physical appetites with no restraint, a lot of it stems from this, having a pride of life where you remove God as your authority and you elevate yourself. And maybe in your, your mind you haven't even elevated yourself, you've just adopted the philosophies of the world You've aligned yourself with a certain way of thinking that that might be tied to a political party or a social movement, and you've adopted these certain values and principles, when in reality, what you've done is just decided, I'm going to be the one that decides what's good, what's right, and what's true for me. Life or the world, you can decide truth. You can decide truth for sex, for gender, for money, for lifestyle, for values, for principles, for morals. The truth of the kingdom is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Hey, guys, I know you're being taught that there are a lot of different righteous ways of living. I know that the world is trying to tell you that there are many ways of living that would be good. The world is trying to tell you that there's a lot of... Of, of ways of thinking and lifestyles that you can adopt that are good and righteous and true. But I'm telling you, I'm the only true life. I am the truth. And there's no other way to get to the Father except through me. But a lot of times it's hard for us to really understand what Jesus is saying. And it's because we have the wrong idea of who Jesus is. And I, this is, this is going to be the end of my message. The band can come back. But I want to talk about this for a minute. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. Now, if you read 2 Peter, you see, before we get to this particular passage, Peter is confronting a lot of backwards thinking and wrong thinking and corrupt thinking in this church. This letter that he's written. He's saying, hey, I know that you're being pulled in these different directions, and you're you're being influenced by people who are telling you that it's okay to do X, Y, and Z. And a lot of it is sexual immorality and, and, and not taking care of the poor. He's saying, hey, I know that, he even says, look, I know that people have come in, and they're twisting the words of our brother Paul, making you think that since you live in grace, you can do whatever you want, but Peter's just reaffirming. He says, listen, you, know, you already know these things, dear friends. So be on guard. Be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge. Everybody say grace and knowledge. Grace and knowledge. Houston, say grace and knowledge. Grace and knowledge of Who? Of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, look what Peter does. He says, you need to grow in grace. You need to have an understanding of grace. You also need to grow in knowledge of who? Who our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is. All glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. This is what I want to bring to you today, that Jesus is Lord and Savior. We like Jesus as the Savior. I like that Jesus is going to save me from hell. I like that Jesus forgives me. I like the Savior part. I like the grace. But what about the Lord part? Because you know what it means for him to be Lord? Is that he's the king. Is that he is the ultimate authority. That when our king says something, it's law. And as citizens of heaven... We must subject ourselves to the king. We must get under the king. And when we get under the king and when we get under his ways and when we get under his thoughts and when we get under the life that he has for us, we overcome the world. He's Lord and Savior. So what I want to ask you today is who is sitting on the throne of your life? Are you sitting on the throne of your life? Are you the ruler of your life? Are you the one that gets to make the decisions about what you do with your body? Are you the one that gets to make decisions about what you do with your finances and your resources? Are you the one that's making the decisions about what is true and what is not? Or have you really surrendered to the Lord and got under the king? Will you stand with me this morning? So we've talked about the lies of the world. We've talked about the truths of the kingdom. We've talked about the thing that God the things that God values. God values self-control. God values generosity. So for heaven's sake, practice self-control. For heaven's sake, be generous. You know what else God values? Humility. Humble yourself. Commit your life to humble servitude. Can I give you an example? Jesus, who is king, coming to earth to serve everyone. Humble yourself for heaven's sake. I know this was more of a teaching kind of message. And Houston, I know this was more of a teaching kind of message. But listen... I know there's a lot of people that still need to make that decision of, hey, I I want Jesus to be my savior. I'm thankful that Jesus is my savior, but I haven't really made him my Lord yet. There's still some things I'm holding on to with regards to my, my sexuality, my body, what I do with my girlfriend or boyfriend. There's still some things that I have embraced that I know it comes from the world and not from the kingdom I know there's still some things where I'm being too self-centered. I know there's some areas where I haven't really given control up, where I haven't allowed God to be my authority. I know there's some people that just need to repent today. So at at Houston, I'd like to go ahead and turn this back over to Pastor Jim. He's going to lead you through prayer and, and through our prayer time. But friends, why don't we go ahead one more time and give it up for the Houston campus. We love you guys. Pastor Jim, you got it.